0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of So Important. As you know, we touch on all kinds of topics on this show, sometimes frivolous, sometimes cultural, sometimes for fun. Occasionally, we talk about something that's more serious. Today, we're going to talk with Jana Murphy, and we're going to talk about mental health and how she has dealt with mental health illness in her family and some of the wonderful ideas she has that she can convey to others about how to address some of these very sensitive issues. Uh, Jana, I want to welcome you to this episode. And I'm wondering if you could tell folks a little bit about your background and why this issue is so important to you?
1: Well, Monty, I, I, this, this is a topic that is, is very near and dear to my heart. And I have many close relatives and friends and colleagues and, whose lives or the life of their loved ones have been touched or affected by someone with some form of mental illness, including several dear friends who were lost to suicide. So it really does touch my heart. And I I really feel like it's a topic that we need to talk more about.
0: That is, uh, you know, really harrowing words that you've had friends who have lost loved ones to suicide. That must be very hard for you to have seen and to have had to deal with, let alone them.
1: It, it was, Monty. And, and I, I think our timing for our conversation couldn't be better. In case you didn't know, this uh, World Mental Health Day was officially observed last week on October 10th. So, I think uh, it's something that the whole world is passionate about. And their objective is to raise awareness of mental health issues around the world and to mobilize efforts in support of mental health. So in my own small way, that's what I hope to do today.
0: I can certainly understand why you're so passionate about this topic. I mean, it's not something you can really prepare for, is it?
1: No, Monty. In fact, it's not. There are nearly one in five U.S. adults, 18 years or older, who live with a mental illness. That's staggering. That's 44.7 million people in 2016. And we never know when a mental health issue will present itself in our life or that of someone we know. So it would be helpful for all of us to be able to recognize the warning signs so that they can get the professional help they need.
0: You mentioned the importance of uh, dealing with this before you're faced with a crisis situation. How does one know
1: what to look for? Well, Monty, there's a lot of great organizations out there that provide support and educational opportunities for anyone who's interested in learning more about mental illness the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the National in- Institute of Mental Health, and the World Health Organization are just to name a few. In fact, uh, while I'm thinking about it, I want to credit those organizations in particular for the latest statistics that I that I will reference in our conversation today.
0: And now you've you've dealt with this from a family perspective. Could you talk about that a little bit?
1: As we went along in this train wreck of, of learning about it, we discovered that it's on both sides of our family. So Murph and I both have close relatives, first cousins, second cousins, and it hits a little closer to home. We have aunts, even dementia. Uh, my mom had dementia in her later years, but also on a family level, um, it hits us personally as well. It's it's something that you just need to have a better understanding of before it happens because you don't expect it. It's not something that you plan for.
0: Having to deal with it as a parent must be such a challenge. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the problems that you face with a child who has had to deal with these kinds of issues.
1: Um, In our case, I, I want to specifically talk more about serious mental illness, Monty. That is mostly things that involve like psychosis, which as you know, is losing touch with reality or experiencing delusions or requires high levels of care, which could include possible hospital treatment. And those two most common ones are schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, which more commonly, you know, is, is referred to as manic depression. And those are the ones that we know the most about because that's what we've dealt with more on a personal level. There are 10.4 million adults in the U.S. alone, over 18, that are dealing with serious mental illness. That means like bipolar and schizophrenia. That's staggering to me. And I guess from a, a parent or family perspective, um, unfortunately, one of the most difficult things that we face is timing. It's not something that you can plan for. You know, you, you are raising your child and you think, Oh my gosh, what's going on? This is not normal. And I guess when something like this happens, it's just, it's something that you have to dig and find a cause. And sometimes that's not easy. A lot of the, the response to that is uh, dependent on the timing. Time is. One of the things that makes it very, very difficult because if your child is at home with you, you have a much better chance of figuring out what's going on and seeking the help you need. But if they're not with you, if they're older, if they're over 18, if they've gone off to college, if they're out working and living on their own and you don't see them all the time, this issue becomes much more complicated. One of the things that I found most staggering is most recent statistics show that half of all mental illness begins by the age of 14. But yeah. most of those cases go undetected. So parents need to have a little better understanding so they know that it's not just a kid misbehaving or lashing out or whatever. There's usually a reason for that.
0: It's kind of a challenge in addition to that when you have a kid who may not be interested in getting the help or, or accepting that they need the help. How do you deal with a situation like that?
1: I guess some of the things that appear as a parent that you have to look out for is inadequate. Adolescents especially. Depression. It's the third leading mental health condition out there. And unbelievably, suicide is the second leading cause of death among 15 to 29-year-olds. That's really scary. As a parent, when they're at home, you can help find those things and you can at least are more aware because you're with them all the time. But as a child gets older and they go off to college, the, the risk is, is much greater. I know when we were first dealing with this, the studies told us that most of the time at that point, they thought that manic depression or bipolar would manifest itself when child was in their late teens to early twenties. And many of the young people that were afflicted had their first manic episodes when they went away to college and if you think about college life you know they're working and playing they're surviving on very little sleep sometimes for days at a time I don't know if you know this Monty but one of the main things that can bring on a manic uh, episode is sleep deprivation
0: what you're saying is there's two sides to this problem one is the prevention aspect the other is trying to treat the problem both of them seem very very challenging
1: When a person goes off and has, you know, their first manic episode or they start experiencing other strange mental symptoms that might go along with a manic episode that that they don't clearly understand or that you don't understand, they might engage in risky behavior like unprotected sex or gambling or they might choose to self-medicate. That's where the drugs and abusing alcohol in an effort to feel better or calm down comes in that's when things become much more difficult because then you're not facing just one thing, which if you were dealing with the mental illness alone, but then it might take a much harder time to diagnose it because you're dealing with other things like drug abuse or alcohol addiction. And the the mental illness side of it maybe lower on the pole. So that's when it really does get complicated, Monty.
0: What more can we be doing? And we, I mean, when I say we, I mean, we as a society and a country, but also we as individuals and caring parents.
1: Well, if it's a young person under 18 and they're home with you, you can use your, your gut feeling and know when something's not right and you can try to address it. When it's a person who's over 18, things become much, much more complicated. And one of the reasons for that is our legal system. As you know, we have the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996, or as we all refer to it as HIPAA. It imposes health privacy restrictions, which oftentimes keeps a parent or friend from helping someone who's mentally ill or of legal age. If you think about that, the ramifications are pretty staggering because here you have a person who may or may not recognize that they have mental illness and you have somebody trying to help them. And the HIPAA laws restrict you. They tie your hands for being able to help them. And that's really, really hard because the way the laws are written, it requires the ailing person to help themselves. Well, that kind of help works great for people who are physically ill, but for a mentally ill person who might not have even acknowledged the fact that they have a mental illness yet, that result can be complete and utter disaster.
0: If they have to deal with some of these issues, what are the first steps that people should be taking?
1: The first step they should take is to try to get uh, psychiatric help, to try to find a doctor that will accept them as a new patient. Now, uh, for a younger person under 18, that's a little easier because parents have... That ability to do that on their behalf. If it's a person over 18, you almost need to have a guardian angel. And I will tell you this, Mondi, I have had a guardian angel several times in my life where not only were the psychiatrists not accepting new patients, they really really couldn't talk to me because the person I was calling for was over 18. As far as how can we make improvements to the mental health system, it takes all of us to change the world and the attitude about mental illness. And there's a stigma that goes along with it. So we have to strive to break that stigma a little bit. And the more chance that we get to help the people who are struggling with severe mental illness, the better chance we have of, of breaking that stigma. You know, when you hear things on the news, you hear about things that are, are bad. When somebody who's mentally ill does something horrid and desperate, like the mass shootings and things. This is a challenge for us as a society because um, mental illness like everything else, is not accepted as a disease. For instance, we have liver disease, we have kidney disease, we have heart disease. But severe mental illness is what it is, a brain disease. And I really find that the cards are often stacked against the mentally ill. For the most part, our country, our government, our state agencies do a really bad job of helping the mentally ill or providing support to the families who are trying to help them. The system can be very confusing, and every state has different rules and a system for implementation, and we found that out because when we left Virginia and moved to Pennsylvania, we had to start fresh and all over because the rules were different. So if a mentally challenged person is trying to figure out all of this on their own, it's no wonder it takes so long for people to get the help that they need. That's where having a trusted advocate or a family member or a good friend or someone to help them is really important.
0: If I'm the parent or guardian, are there organizations for me that will help me deal with some of these issues and give me the kind of guidance that you were just talking about?
1: There are, Monty. And if you go online and search, you will get a plethora of Organizations. Most of the national organizations are very good about putting pointers out there as to what to look for, how to, you know, how to go about dealing with it, how to talk to a person about it. But getting them in to see a doctor is probably one of the, the most important things that you can do for someone who's struggling with a mental illness. And, and the severely mental illnesses, the severe ones like the schizophrenia and the bipolar and whatever, those are a little different be- because... Because you see the symptoms, you know, when you have somebody that's delusional or you have somebody that, you know, lashing out, it's a whole different ballgame than some of the other more less severe mental illnesses.
0: Do you have any kind of final words you'd like to convey just to make sure that if there's one message people get from this to make sure that, that you've conveyed it?
1: One of the hardest things you have to do is not give up on the person. It takes a united front to cope and deal with it. It's a lifelong commitment. And at the root of it all is the person who's struggling. They have to be the ones to ultimately do what they need to do to address their mental illness. It's important that they get diagnosed. They get therapy. They get the medications that they're needed, and that they stay on the medications. Those are the key things that I want people to remember. And that mental illness can be managed. And I think that's the key point for all of us to remember. There's a lot of really kind and loving people out there who are successfully managing and fighting their mental illness with medication and psychotherapy. And so it's not just crazy people out running around shooting things up. And the other thing I want people to be aware of in general is we have really as a country failed our our mentally ill. Most of the people are either homeless or they're in jails. And unfortunately, our jails have become the replacement for the mental health institutions of old. And the only difference, the people in jail are not being adequately treated for their mental illness. And then when they get out of jail, they go back out, and they start all over again, and they're off their meds, and they end up back in jail. And it's like a revolving door. One of the books that I would like to recommend talks about that, it's called Crazy: A Father's Search Through America's Mental Health Madness by Pete Early. His son is bipolar and Pete Early, you may recognize the name Monty, he's a former Washington Post reporter writer who wrote the book because his son went off to college and be had his first uh, manic episode and is bipolar and ended up in jail. And so he went out and he visited jails and and talked to patients and what have you and It's a really insightful book, and I would I would like to see every legislator, every person around, read that book. It's worthwhile, and it might just help us to find the right path in our country for helping the system. There's another book, Monty. It's called An Unquiet Mind by Kay Redfield Jamison, and she's both a psychotherapist and a professor of psychiatry. She writes the book on the treatment of manic depressive illness, but she also suffers from the disease herself, and She, as you know, tells the reader what it's like to have an incurable but manageable disease. And she describes her experience of living with a mood disorder and gives you these image evoking documentary of her her life story told from the point not just as a disease sufferer but also from the standpoint of a healer so it's very insightful and it's probably one of the best books i've ever read and i would highly recommend that one as being one of the first ones for someone to read whose uh, loved one or who themselves have been diagnosed as as bipolar
0: John, I just want to say thank you very much for your time. I really do think people will listen to this and that you are going to inspire some people to take some action to help address some of the exact things that you were so nice to talk about today. And so thank you very, very much.
1: Well, thank you, Monty, for giving me that opportunity. And if, if anything that I've said today has, has given somebody a teeny bit of a a world's view on manic depression or bipolar illness or mental health in general, and if, if I can get somebody to listen one person at a time, then I've successfully uh, uh, met my goal.
0: Absolutely. Thank you again.
1: Thanks, Monty.
0: My friends, that was Jonna Murphy, and I want to thank her not only for her bravery in coming out and talking about such a sensitive topic, but also for the great knowledge that she imparted and the great information she provided to those who may need to know more about mental health. And now I am going to ask you for a small favor. You may think I'm going to ask you to go to iTunes, to like this program, to subscribe. That would all be great. No question about it. But what I'm really asking you to do is to share this episode with one or two people, either because you like the show and you think it would be valuable to share the show with others, or more important, because of the value of Jonah's message. If you know someone who may benefit from hearing what Jonna has to say, let them hear the episode. So thank you again, Jonna. Thank you, dear listeners. We will be back very soon with a new episode. Thank you for
1: listening.